You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for being here at Freedom Church. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tony. I'm the worship pastor here at Freedom. And so thank you for being a part. Thank you for being here. And can we just give it up for Edgar this morning? He did a phenomenal job leading worship. And I'm so, I'm so pumped to have Edgar a part of the team and seeing him kind of step up and take some more responsibility. And so I'm super glad that he is here with us. So thank you this morning. You did amazing. And so today, before we get into it, um, I'd just like to say a prayer. So I'm just going to pray a quick prayer, and then we'll get into, right into the message, all right? Dimly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for you. You are holy and mighty, God. You are so good to us, Father. And we pray that today, Lord, that your, your word would be entrenched upon our hearts, Father, that, that we would be changed by it, that as we wrestle with it throughout the message, Lord, that the, the truth of who you are would, would, be, would mark us, Lord, and that we would be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So... Like I said, my name's Tony. Uh, I don't know how much you know about my background or not, but I was raised in the Assemblies of God uh, fellowship, okay? So the Assemblies of God is, is more of a charismatic background, okay? So um, I was raised in more of a charismatic background, and um, the reason why that's important is because today we're going to be talking about worship, what worship is, what worship isn't, um, and I've seen a lot of both. I've seen what worship is. I've seen a lot of what worship isn't. And, you know, so being that I grew up charismatic, I've seen everything from people wailing and travailing uh, to running around with a Jericho march to throwing flags to all, you name it, I've probably seen it, okay? Um, and so, so listen, I want to be very, very clear. Whenever I talk about these things as we're kind of moving forward in the message, I do not find any of them to necessarily be wrong or unbiblical. What I do find is when your worship becomes a distraction from God for somebody else, it's no longer about him, it's about you. And we got to make sure we don't cross that boundary, okay? So if we can all do that, that's, you know, just... Know that if I step on your toes a little bit, it's in love, and I love you, and I just want you to worship God the best, okay? Um, so uh, we were with Alexis and I, uh, my wife, she's right there sitting with my oldest daughter, Ava. We were with, uh, <laughs> hey, no, I'm, I'm about it. Go for it. Uh, so we were with a previous church at a worship night. This worship night was held um, by a pretty famous person within the charismatic circles of worship, and so we went, and uh, sure enough, about 15, 20 minutes into the service, um, you know, I see a lady bust out her flags, and it's like, that's cool, that's normal, I expected that kind of stuff, you know. What I did not expect, though, was as I'm sitting there trying to, to focus on the Lord, I just see this flag go all the way up and try to touch the roof and then come back down, and it goes up again, comes back down, and uh, like, so I started counting to see how many times she was going to throw it, I got distracted because it almost hit the projector, I was like, what is going on, and you know, eventually somebody politely came up and was like, hey, I know you're worshiping the Lord, and we appreciate that, but your worship is becoming distracting to the people around you, because you've almost hit people with your flags, you've almost, you know, like, stuff like that, and so the point of the story in all of that is, was what she was doing bad? No. Did it miss the heart of the heart of worship? Maybe. And the heart of worship is very, very simple. Because we can do all sorts of stuff and proclaim it's worship, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is. Yeah. Okay? So we need to make sure that we are not distracting from the majesty of who God is. Yeah. 
Because at the end of the day, we're talking about what does true worship look like? That moment, it made me ponder, man, I'm a part of this like movement <laughs> within a theological ramification that people do things that people are like, man, that's psychotic. <laughs> like, does that bring glory and honor to God? And so it started me down a theological reformation for myself because I wanted to make sure that I was honoring God in spirit and in truth, that it did not have so much of the spirit that I was following any new fad, but I was grounded in the truth of his scriptures. You know, uh, we've said it here before, too much truth, you dry up because it's all truth and no grace, right? Too much spirit or too much grace, you blow up because it's all about, about grace and you follow things around and you set yourself up on a ticking time bomb of, of spiritualness, right? And you could follow anything. Paul specifically says within the scriptures to test every spirit. When you're just following the spirit, not truth, you don't test the spirits, right? And then, but spirit and truth or spirit and grace, you grow up. You grow the way God wants you to because it's a balance. God is God of balance, so it, it made me ask that question, what does true worship look like? And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what is true worship? What is worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Because over the last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Structure, right? Structures, where we're talking about the foundation, the support network. What does your structure for your friends group look like? The family unit, what does family look like? your husband, your wife, the kids, as well as extended family. The blueprint. What's the, what's the blueprint for structure in life? And this week we're talking about the structure of worship because worship is a vital part of your foundation. It's a vital part of your structure. If you don't know how to worship, what you're simply saying is, I don't know how to put God where he deserves to be. Right. Because that's what worship is. Worship is putting God where he deserves to sit. And that's the throne of your heart. That's making a big deal about him and putting him first. That's what worship is. And so the, the big idea, if you don't take anything else away from my sermon today, I want you to take away one, one thing, one key thought. And that is, the big idea is worship isn't a moment, it's a lifestyle. Worship isn't a moment, it's a lifestyle. See, too many times we've allowed worship to be this like 18-minute gap at the beginning of a church service. Instead of allowing worship to be a lifestyle experience of choosing God over everything else. Because when you're faithful to God, you're worshiping him. You're struggling with love for money. You're struggling with greed. How do you worship him? By giving more to the kingdom. Putting your money towards him. You're struggling with lust. How do you... How do you conquer that how do you choose God by choosing purity yeah. by choosing him that means not going to movies or watching tv shows or anything with any sort of sexual nature in them to make sure that you're saying God I'm choosing you first I'm not even going to put a foundation or a, a a groundwork for temptation to be in my life because I love you more See, in order to make worship a lifestyle, you have to have an expectation of worship. Yeah. Are you expecting to worship God every day? Is that something from the moment you wake up, you're like, I'm going to worship him today. 
So is there an expectation of worship in your life? See, we, we kind of see the foundation of what it looks like to experience God in a lifestyle worship with, with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 8 through 9, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So here's a few things that we can kind of gather from this scripture. Number one, Adam and Eve knew the sound of God approaching. They knew the sound of God approaching. Do you know what it sounds like to God, for God to approach you? Do you know what it sounds like for God to approach you? You know what it sounds like for you to approach God. God, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Right? Because that's how most of the time when we approach God, like repentance is, the, is for many of us the foundation of approaching God. We only approach him when we've done something bad. Right? But I know as a father, my kids, they don't approach me whenever they do something bad. They hide from me. Like, man, I don't want to get in trouble. Right? They, they, they go and run. They're like, oh, especially my little one, she, she's like, oh, no, didn't do that. Bye. <laughs> then I'll find her around the corner hiding under a blanket or something. See, but, but we take the same stance with God. We only approach him whenever we want, want the forgiveness. Whenever we've kind of gotten out of our self-condemnation and we've stopped feeling sorry for ourselves for the choice we made to worship something else rather than worshiping him, we, we were like, okay, God, I guess, I guess I'll take your blood now. I guess I'll, I'll repent now. When, when what it was is Adam and Eve had an agreement with God that, were, that they were both going to pursue each other. Adam and Eve knew that they had to, to pursue God as much as God needed to pursue them. Because every time we fall, guess what's right there when we turn around? His goodness and his mercies follow us for all of our days. They're right there. Number two, God was expecting to walk with Adam and Eve. He showed up because that was the agreed upon time. Number three, Adam and Eve hid themselves because of the separation from God. See, with Adam and Eve, there was an expectation of relationship with, which leads to a lifestyle of worship. The more you expect to encounter God, the more time you put in your schedule for God, it leads to a lifestyle of choosing him over everything else. See, they expected to encounter God and God expected to encounter them. When we come into the kingdom, there is an expectation for you to search God out. There's an expectation for that. Like you don't just get to say a prayer at some random youth camp or kids camp and then think you're good for the rest of your life. You need to build a relationship with him. He's your father. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that when you go to him and you understand who he is, he can solve all problems because for him, what is impossible for us is possible for him. And when we know that, do you know how much freedom there is to know that that's the God I serve? That, that that's who I serve, that when I choose him and choose faithfulness to him, he is there for me, fighting on behalf of me, making a way for me when I don't feel that there's a way, showing me his goodness, showing me his kindness, that my anxiety and my stress and my fear and my doubt have no hold on me. 
Do you know how freeing that is? That's what God wants for you. But you have to pursue him. You have to get to know him. Sorry. That hurt my hand. We'll cut that out. Um, You have to get to know him. See, because it was his goodness that drew us to repentance. So his goodness is the basis of our relationship. It's his goodness, not anything we do. His goodness is the foundation of our relationship. Do you know how good God is? Do you know how good he is? Because he's the best. He's the best. Sorry, Nacho Libre popped in my head. He is the best. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's kind. I am in awe of who he is. Because when I am weak, he is strong. When I fail, he pulls me up and says, son, it's okay. I think one of the primary enemies of worship is the fact that you don't think you're good enough for his grace. Yes. Yes. And you are. Because he said you were good enough. Because he made a way from you, a way for you. He looked at you and said, you're worth it. Jesus put the joy before him, the joy set before him of you possibly, not definitely, but possibly, the joy of you possibly encountering him was the joy he put before him to endure the cross. And you're here. You are encountering him. So you're worth it. You're worth it. He has plans for you. Ephesians 2.10 says you are his workmanship and he's put good works in you for you to walk out. Stop doubting. Stop wrestling with your value and understand that he has placed a price on you. And that price was a son. See, because what the enemy does is he uses condemnation because you, you did fall to your anxiety, to your stress, to your lust, to, to food. Because I'm an emotional eater. Like, straight up. Um, I, I am an emotional eater. When I've had a stressful day, my first thought is, okay, I'm going to go to Taco Bell. All right? Like, hey, I'm just saying. Like, I'm, I'm just being honest here, okay? Like, all, what, what if we could fix all of these habits by relying on God instead of relying on ourselves? See, because what the enemy does is he puts so much condemnation of how God's not going to want you and how God's not seeing you and how God doesn't love you or he's going to be disappointed in you and all this other stuff. See, condemnation brings separation while conviction brings education. The conviction of the Holy Spirit will always educate you on how you need to get back to God and what you need to let go of. But the enemy will always bring condemnation which tells you how far you are from him. Don't listen to that voice. See, the Spirit of God will always educate us on how we need to draw close to him. One pastor said it this way, the Holy Spirit will not illuminate something in you that he does not have the power to walk you through. The whole, if the Holy Spirit is illuminating it in you, 
That means he has the power to walk you through it. He has the freedom for you. He has the grace for you. He has the mercy for you. See, because the, the, the structure of worship is relationship. The structure of worship is relationship. Our worship to the Father is directly connected to how strong our relationship to, it is with him. That's why some people, no matter what situation they're going through, their relationship is real strong with the Lord, and because of that, their worship is always strong. It's always on point. They could have lost everything, but they're still worshiping the Lord. So if, if relationship is the structure of worship, that means the primary value we must acknowledge above all else is God. God has to be number one. There's a sermon series called The Vow talking about marriage relationships, and uh, it's by Craig Rochelle, and Craig Rochelle says, God's your one, your wife's your two. So God has to be one in everything. Yes. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your finances, not your schooling. God will bless all of those if you put him first. So we cannot have the foundation to our lives correct if we aren't putting God where he deserves to be in every space of our life. When you go to work, is that just another part of your life or does God have control of that as well? Are you worshiping God while you're at work? Or do you make an excuse for the slip of the tongue while you're there? Like, are, are we showing how good God is to the people around us? Are we worshiping him by being excellent in every little detail? In every detail? There's certain things, like I have to, so I'm the marketing manager at my job, okay? So I have to do these newsletters every month, and dear Lord, I do not like them. Okay, I have to print off like 400 of them. Then I, my wife has been helping me like fold them. Then I've got to put this little half sticker sticky thing on the top of them to keep them together. Then I have to put the label on them. And it takes like four hours to do this process by myself. And I dislike it. And every month I put it off till the very end because I hate doing it. <laughs> right? And this past, this past month I was going through it and I was doing everything. And there was an issue with the labels because I sped my way through it. And I felt convicted because I was like, that's not honoring God. That's not be putting my best forward. That's not showing my best. So I was convicted. Because in that moment, I could have chose faithfulness to God or sin. And I chose sin instead of faithfulness to God. Because I wasn't honoring God in everything. See, honoring God with everything primes the pump for you to come here on Sunday mornings. Yeah. Yeah. See, because that means within the context of a Sunday morning worship setting, when all of his people come together in one mind, in unity, and want to make a big deal about him, his spirit's like, yes, I'm here. His scriptures are very clear. Where two or three are gathered in his name. Okay. See, but we come to church... With this thought process, man, I need a touch. Man, I need to be changed. Man, I need this. Instead of saying, man, I'm coming to church to make a big deal about Jesus. We've got to make a big deal about him. That's all worship is. Yeah. Just being like, God, you're good. I suck, but you're good. <laughs> like, I fail, but you don't. Come on, 
Like, the, the, we'll get into that in a second. I was about to get ahead of myself. But in order to understand what worship is, I think we have to understand what worship isn't first. And so I want to talk about the three myths of worship real quick. Number one, worship is about a feeling. Worship is about a feeling. I just didn't feel God this morning. I just didn't feel God this morning, so I couldn't worship. Okay, like this is a really big one for me because I came from a charismatic movement. And if you didn't get goosebumps, you didn't get the dose of the ghost. Okay, like, and if you didn't get the dose of the ghost, oh my Lord, that service was miserable for you. Like, and so for, for you in your life, it's not about what you feel. It's about acknowledging who he is. That's what worship is. An emotional experience is a sad placeholder for a God experience. Just because you got emotional doesn't mean you touch Jesus. You want to know how I know? Because I was a youth pastor for a long time. I saw kids come to the altar week after week after week and cry and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. And then they would leave and I would hear them doing and saying and, and, and live in the exact same way. It was an emotional experience, not a God experience. Number two, worship is about the music. This is something else I've heard my whole life. Well, if they would just play the hymns, the Lord would fall. <laughs> well, if they played the new elevation music, man, their, their church would be on point. Yeah. It doesn't matter what generation you're a part of. Is worship about how you feel about worship or is worship about making a big deal about Jesus? See, a lot of people complain about music not being their style. I don't care about style. I don't, I don't care about style. What I do care about is, is this music glorifying and edifying God? tiny soapbox here. A lot of worship today makes a big deal about how we feel about God, but it's not really about God. And it gets under my skin. So make sure you aren't using music as an emotional catalyst to experience God. If you can't pray without music, you, you have to, like, you're setting the mood right. Like, do we have to set the mood right for God? Isn't he everywhere at all, the, all the time? Like, we have to be like, all right, God, let's put on our prayer music. You know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Number three, worship is about you. This is the third myth. Worship is about you. I couldn't worship this morning because I have all of this junk going on. God wants to meet you and take care of that. But how can he meet you and take care of that if you're worshiping the stuff going on instead of worshiping him? A prime example is the woman at the well in John chapter 4, starting in verse 16. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. 
What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. No, duh. (laughs) So the first step here that the woman did was she had to be honest with who she was and where she was at. And then God, in the form of Jesus, God the Son, was honest with her and said, in verse 21, Jesus said, The woman, or woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, will you worship the Father. You're, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the caveat for Jesus to give her the revelation about worship was she had to be honest with who she was and where she was at first. Are you honest with where you're at? Or do you think you're better off or worse off? See, because we can't worship God in spirit and truth if we're not being honest with ourselves. So what does it mean to worship God? What is, it, what is worship? What worship isn't is worship isn't a moment. It's a lifestyle. That means choosing faithfulness. One of the things Jason, Brandon, and I talked about a lot during the freedom class um, when Brandon and I went through it that's become a staple in my life is that every choice we make is boiled down to choosing between sin and faithfulness. We have both of them running at us all the time. Faithfulness, sin. Faithfulness, sin. Faithfulness, sin. And we get to choose between faithfulness to God or faithfulness to ourselves because that's all sin is. Faithfulness to God or faithfulness to something else. And so one of the greatest acts of worship you can commit is when we have these moments, we choose faithfulness because it's dying to yourself. And it's choosing the life of God over what you think life is. Choosing to die to yourself is to love the Lord. But whenever we don't have a deeper understanding of who God is, it's hard to choose him. That's why pursuing and having an expectation of relationship is so important. So in order to have a genuine understanding of having a deeper understanding of God, of worship and all these things, I think we have to understand these three keys of worship. Number one, the who. Number two, the why. And number three, the how. So number one, who do we worship? We worship God the Father who made a way with his son. Oh, come on. Like, have you guys experienced the goodness of God? Okay, so we worship God the Father who made a way with his son. When there wasn't a way, when I was lost, when I was depressed, when I was hurting, when I didn't want to live any longer, he made a way for me. That's who I worship. We worship Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Lamb that was slain and is worthy to open the scroll. 
In John chapter 5, uh, I, I don't want to read the whole thing because it takes, a, takes a, a little bit, but in verses 1 through 10, they're, they're seeing they're, 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 God is holding a scroll and, and they're seeing who's worthy to open the scroll and no one is found worthy and John begins to weep. And then it says one of the elders comes over and this is what it says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. He is worthy. He is worthy. He has conquered. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is the firm foundation, the rock of our salvation. He is Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. He, and he is so many more things. He is worthy. It's him. He is worthy. This is who we worship. He's the very foundation in which we, in which we build our lives upon. So that when the storms come, when, when the oceans rise, when things don't go our way, we can still have a firm foundation and we can look at life and be like, it's going to be okay. Because my God is worthy. My God is holy. Why do we worship? We worship because God made a way for us when there was no way. He made the plan. He executed it, and we get the benefit of it. We're the ones who jacked it up, not him. And he was like, don't worry, I got this. He paid the price of his son so you could freely encounter him. What do you have to give up? Is it really giving up things when his goodness is so much better or is it an advantage? Is it really sacrifice to choose him? No. When you understand him and you understand his ways, it's easy to tithe. When you understand him and understand his ways, it's e- easy to put him first. See, the base miracle that we all get to experience, the base miracle is God creating sacrifice so we don't have to experience the curse of death. What was the first thing he did after confronting Adam and Eve? After he cursed the snake and all this stuff, right? He sacrificed animals and covered Adam and Eve. There's a consequence, they got kicked out of the garden. But they weren't left helpless. He covered them. Just like he covers you every single time. A righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back up. Because God has given us the strength. Because in our weakness, Christ is made strong. We're new creation in Christ Jesus. This is why we worship. Because I'm not held down by the condemnation. I'm not held down by the rumors the people down the road say about me. I'm not held down by, by all this junk. Because he's good. And if he's good, then I'm good. Because I rely on him, not myself. 
How do we worship? We worship through surrender. We have to surrender who we are by being honest with God. We have to surrender who we are by being truthful with the Spirit. We just have to be honest. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Don't try to finagle it into something that's not. Just be like, you know what? No, I did that. Yeah, that was me. My bad. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I repent. Help me. You have to be honest with God about where you're worshiping things that aren't Him. Are you worshiping husbands? Are you worshiping your wives? Are you putting them first instead of putting God first? Women, are you putting your husband first instead of putting God first? Is your husband your God? Just hear an auditory, nope. <laughs> are, you, are you making your kids your God? Do your kids run things? Are you making work your God? Where you would die for that place. You would work yourself to death because you, you feel that the money you get from that place is gratifying to you. Do you have more peace with money in your wallet than you do with just Jesus? We have to be honest. And when we're honest, we know what we need to fix in our life. If, it's, if it is money, start tithing and being more generous. That will solve that real quick. If it's time, start serving in your church. If you feel alone and, and depression and anxiety rule you, start connecting with people. Yeah. Make friendships. Get in a group. Do you feel like you have goodness in you but you don't know how to walk it out? Start being developed. Mm. See, when we are in Christ, all that's true about him becomes true about us. But the issue is, is pride keeps us from understanding. And the only antidote to pride is the truth of who God is. We have to know who he is so that when our pride swells up, the truth of who he is can squash that back down. See, this reminds me, worship can be summed up, in my opinion, in the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Man comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And he said, If you want eternal life, keep all the commandments. And the rich young ruler replies, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of those commandments deal with man-to-man interaction. And he said, I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? See, the man knew he lacked something. 
but he wasn't sure what it was. And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What are your great possessions you're holding on to instead of giving them to the Lord? Instead of choosing faithfulness to him? Because that's what worship is, is simply choosing him over everything else. That's the greatest act of worship you can commit. God, I choose you. It's like Pokemon, but with the Holy Spirit. I'm just joking. It was a bad joke. Bad joke. Deborah's like, how dare you? She's about to shank me. No, but... You have to choose the Lord. You have to choose the Lord. How do you choose him? I have a simple challenge for you. To wrap up my message, I have a simple, simple challenge for you. It's called the first 15. The first 15 minutes of your day. It's right there. Five minutes of worship. So when you wake up in the morning, your first five minutes, the first five minutes of words out of your mouth are, God, you're good. God, you're holy. God, I'm thankful for you. You're so mighty. You're so powerful. I'm thankful for your mercies and your graces that are new every day. The first five minutes, you're making a big deal about who he is. The next five minutes, it's five minutes of prayer. Pray about things in your life and the lives around you that need to be, be answered. Then the next five minutes, Bible time. Look at the day it is and go to that proverb. If it's the third, go to Proverbs chapter 3, read Proverbs chapter 3. If you still have time left over, go to the Psalms and read a psalm. When you run out of those, start adding in a, a book from the Gospels. When you run out of the Gospels, continue in the New Testament. When you run out of that, start in the Old Testament. And you'll find that five minutes isn't enough. Be like, I want more. And you'll start reading four or five chapters a day. So the first 15 minutes of your day is dedicated to who God is. So it sets you up for success. It sets you up for success. Like when I mean the first 15 minutes, I mean like you get out of bed, you don't go brush your teeth, you don't go get a cup of coffee, you don't do anything. You sit there on your bed with your phone or with your Bible and you just pursue him. Just go after him. Worship is a lifestyle. This is how you make it a lifestyle. This is how you make it a lifestyle. This is how you choose him every day. Every day. So I just want to pray with you just for a moment. If we could... Who would be honest and say, you know, I haven't been the best about making worship a lifestyle? Could we raise our hands? Listen, I'm right there with you. Like, I haven't been the best about it. But what I do know is that God is good and he's faithful to those who are honest with him. So let's pray. Lord, come to you right now, Father. We're so thankful for you. You are good, and you are holy, and you are mighty. Father, we ask you, in Jesus' name, that you would be with us, that you would change us, that you would heal us, 
God, that we would make you the biggest deal in our life, Lord. That we would choose faithfulness to you above all else. God, let us worship you in every moment. help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.